Hey, you're listening to a sermon from Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about our church, you can visit ktnnaz.org, visit us on Facebook, just search Ketchikan Naz, or you can download our free app from the iPhone store or the Google Play store, just search Ketchikan Naz. Thanks for visiting. Hope the word of God speaks to you today. Hey, I don't look like Peter, do I? No. Well, Peter right now has a bunch of Mickey Mouse ears on top of him, and he's uh, having fun. So, yeah, that's right. How many of you wish you were at Disney World? Oh, how many of you? How many are old enough to say, "I'm glad I'm not at Disney World"? That's called old age, folks. I'm afraid I might fit in that category too now. So. Well, I, I, I need to ask, do we have children's church? Okay, I thought so too. Now I don't want to see all those young ones go. But you know what? I think they got a great message for you. And you know, Bob, okay? Well, look back there and look at Bob back there. Yes, Bob Marshall. Would you guys, if you want to go to children's church, all you kids, get up and line right in there. We're going to have a word of prayer before we send you off. And you can line on up there. Oh man, I love to see those kids. I don't think any touches my heart, especially when we will lay them in the hands of such wonderful people. Let's all turn around, and you know the drill by now, right? Let's stretch out our hands, and we're going to be praying for God to be able to touch these young people as they go. Father, we just ask God right now for the power of your spirit to be with the leaders and these children that they receive the message that has been prepared for them, that you may touch their hearts and set it afire in this world. We ask that blessing right now in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. All right. Off you go, Bob. Well, this morning I'm going to be sharing a little bit. And, I, you know, after hearing, pre, uh, you know, I, I hate it when Peter's gone. I really do. I love his messages and I, our prayers. I know you've been praying for him down there, hoping he'd come back quickly. But you know, one thing is, it's a great privilege to be able to share uh, the Word of God with you. So I'm just thanking you for being able to be here and listen to what I might have to share. God has brought me under quite a bit of convictions lately over one thing. You know, if, if I could do anything in my life, you know what it would be? I would spend the rest of my life just going on mission trips overseas. I absolutely love them to be able to meet the people, to experience those people, and to see all that God is doing. It it excites me. And when we show up there, we discover that it's almost like being in our home church. The people are part of your families, and that's the most wonderful thing. But and one of the things I've always wanted to do, I don't know about you, how many have you been on an overseas mission? Okay, I'm going to tell you, I, I get excited about it. But and one of the things I've wanted to do for a long time is go down to Ecuador. I would love to go down to Ecuador, but you know the problem that I have is I go down and I look at what the church is going down there, And I'm sitting there, man, saying, you know, they don't have a lot of resources, but you know what? 
they are not only filled with God in so many powerful ways, the church is phenomenally growing. And I find that in many, many places. And, and one of the great convictions I have is I would like to go over there, but I discovered something the other day is they've discovered that God has been doing such marvelous things in South America that you know where they decided to do? They're gonna open up a new mission field and they decided the mission field was one of the least churched places in the United States, Seattle, Washington. Wow. And I'm under the conviction that something in our own backyard is so need of the presence of God. And it reminds me is perhaps what's going on within our lives or sometimes things at our very doorstep we miss. You know, we start to look at the scriptures and I'm phenomenal. I mean, it, it, it makes, some things are so clear. You know, I, in the book of Matthew, he starts out with the Jesus and the lineage of Jesus and he finally finishes it off and he, Jesus gives us a command when he, before he goes back to heaven and wh what is his command? You guys know it? And what are we supposed to do in the world? What? Preach the gospel. That's the word I was looking for. Go, in verse number 19, it says, go and make disciples of all groups of people and teach them everything I've commanded you. Yes. And I, I look at that and I look at a church and I look at this church and it's wonderful. Is my head cut off again? Oh, no. Okay. Okay. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Somehow our height's different from Peter, so I was just wondering. <laughs> One of the things that really touched me is the fact is sometimes the simplest things that God tells us to do is so hard. And when I see a church like this that is alive, that is well, that is reaching new people, I say, God, can we do the things that you've asked? Because it requires a little bit more. When I looked at that text, it says, go and make disciples. Now, what is a disciple? You guys can tell me that, right? What is it? Christ follower. Follower of Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, somehow that one little message that we're to go and make followers of Jesus Christ has turned into the thing is, oh, with, that we're supposed to make them believe. We are not supposed to make them believe. That's the Holy Spirit's job. But we're supposed to teach people how to follow Jesus. And when I realized that, as I sometimes look at it and I says, why is that commandment so hard for us to do? You know, growing up, who's the most responsive, responsive to a parent you could ever be? The littlest child, right? Mom and dad, you ask them to do something and you got a close relationship with your child, that child is really quick to do it, right? Matter of fact, it's one of the most exciting things to me is to be around little kids and see how mom and dad, and they can ask them to do something, jump up and they run, do it. Of course, when they get older, it's not quite so easy, right? As we grow and we expand. But when you're a little child, it's really easy to respond because of the closeness of the relationship you have with the father. And I thought the church, us, we're the church, right? Not the building, not the denomination. We're the church, we're the body of Christ. We are the church, and how do we respond to our Heavenly Father? 
do we respond like that? And I was like, the other day, as if I turned to my son, Caleb, and says, Caleb, would you go out and take out the garbage for me? And the first thing Caleb does, he acted like the church. So he decided, okay, I'm going to go down. And he came back three hours later and says, Dad, I'm going to memorize everything you told me. But Dad, I don't think that's enough now. I want to make sure. So I'm going to get together and I'm going to do a Bible study on what it would look like to take the garbage out. Maybe in nine or 12 weeks, we'd be able to maybe have some understanding. Well, wait a minute. I got to go deeper. I want to learn this in all the different languages. And your pastors are really good at that. They send them away to school and they, they teach in Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic. And it's amazing the different ways that they can translate what Jesus actually has to say and how many times we could actually study what it is. Now, that might sound kind of ridiculous, doesn't it? But when we stop and we realize it, when Jesus turned to his disciples, he had spent three years with them. We know that. They had the Hebrew back. They had some understanding of what it is. They still didn't grasp all that was going on, did they? Matter of fact, there's a lot that they didn't understand. But yet at the same time, Jesus turned to them. And you know, and you know how old they were, don't you? But, uh, Paul, he doesn't tell us in the scriptures. But do you have an idea of how old they are? If you take a look at it, the oldest one was, was definitely Peter. He was married. We know that in the scriptures. We also know that he was at least 20 years old. <coughs> and the reason for that is, is in the scriptures, uh, they, you were supposed to pay a temple tax. And Jesus told him to pay the temple tax, basically. And the, he only told Peter. He didn't tell any of the other ones. So we don't know how old they are. We don't even know if they're 20 years old. Matter of fact, when we started to look at the individuals that are involved in that and the people he gave the message to is the youngest one may have been John, who wrote the Gospel of John. Of course, he was older, three years older when Jesus had left, but he could have been as early as 13 years old. Because at 13, that's when you took on a rabbi to follow him. So when we started to look at the different disciples, we're really finding out that God really turned over the church to a bunch of teenagers a few in their 20s most likely Jesus was the old man at 30 now I want you to understop and think about it is this, what would happen if you did that to others how much do we actually have to comprehend to do what God actually told us to do and when I start to look at that and I started to go through my mind I says you know this is really interesting when we start to realize it, and I came under a conviction that maybe I have forgotten the very presence of what God has called me to do. We need to disciple. We need to teach people how to follow Jesus. And sometimes we overcomplicate it. I had a professor. Yeah, this is the most wonderful man in the world. He was a professor at NSC of Old Testament. And when I talk, he, he was my Greek teacher. You know, you, you, everybody's got to learn Greek to begin with, right? And this guy had a tough time. English is my second language and never had a first language. So everything is really hard for me. But this wonderful old man, he's not, well, he wasn't old then, he's probably as now, is he learned 14 dead languages. Now, that, a dead language is one that isn't spoken anymore. And the reason he did, he wanted to understand the Old Testament. He wanted to understand the background. He wanted to understand everything that there possibly could in the scriptures. And, I, and he was asking, remember in class, 
you know, with all the studying you actually ever did, would you ever go back and do it all over again? And his response is no. I wouldn't have studied all the things that I had studied. I would have studied how to present the gospel better. With all his knowledge and all his thing, he says the very simple thing of presenting the gospel and how to present it would probably be the most important thing that he could have ever done in, ref in ref reflection. And I start to, re maybe, what is, what, is it, what is it that we are doing different? What is it that's going on with us? Matter of fact, what is a disciple? Turn real quick to the book, Gospel of John. John chapter 8, verse 31. In this gospel, the youngest of the bunch wrote the message of Jesus, and it says, John chapter 8, 31, it says, If you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Now, in some translations, it says, if you remain in me. King James says, if you continue in my teachings. John uses the word abide a lot. Matter of fact, he, in the, in the uh, 15.4, he actually says, abide in me and I in you. The concept is, the fact is, if you stay in my teaching, if you live in this, you're my disciple. You see, believing Jesus Christ, and I want you to understand, when you read this verse, he is talking to a bunch of Jews that believe. He's talking to believers, and he's saying, if you continue in my teaching, you're my disciple. So somebody who continues in the, in the teachings of Jesus is a disciple of, disciple of Jesus. Now, that it really kind of breaks it down a little bit, because that's a little bit more of a, a challenge, though, than we all believe in Jesus Christ. When he accepted him, and that's all we t need for salvation. We've accepted Jesus into our heart and our lives. He come into our hearts and lives. He's taken the sin from us. He's thrown it away because he's paid it on the cross. And he enters into our lives. And then Jesus says to the believers, continue with the things that I am teaching you. And when you continue in these things, then you teach others to continue. Now, how many of you got heroes? I, everybody's got these heroes, right? I have heroes too. Matter of fact, go to that first slide. Here's one of my heroes. Just do it, okay. No, it's not Nike, believe it or not. <laughs> okay. It didn't come up, okay. That's okay. I, my heroes are not the heroes a lot of people have. My heroes are people that nobody knows. Matter of fact, most of these heroes that I've run into were people that sometimes had never traveled more than maybe 15 or 20 miles from their whole, their whole lives. One is a, a, a wonderful man, and he is, I had a picture of him and his kids. He looks like everybody else where he's from. But he's in Bangladesh, obviously it's a little bit different world there. And he discovered that when he heard God's message in his life, he discovered this idea of discipleship was something he was supposed to do. Isn't it amazing? And he decided to go do that. So he went out and he did that. When he got done discipling over here, he went over here and discipled. And he did this 69 times. When he got done, when I saw him 10 years ago, 48 churches were existing out of that 69 times he started. 
He was, he was a common, everyday person, no talent, master talents, nothing, anything else. He just discovered that he was supposed to do this thing and he continued to do it. Well, the second one, and some of you, have, you probably even saw that you don't have the slide for this. This scowl I have above my door and a wall right behind my desk at work because she is my hero of all heroes. She is a 14, she started as a 14 year old girl. She heard the message of Jesus Christ in a village that wasn't her own. She was so enamored, he wanted, she wanted to be able to take that there was church that they were doing, can you come and do it over here at our home, in my community? And they said, no, we can't. We don't do that, you gotta find 12 people, you gotta have 12 disciples to do that. So this girl said she went home to her mom and dad and, and basically said, you know, I'm gonna become a Christian. The first thing they told her was, no, you're not gonna become a Christian. Nobody will marry you. If you're in Bangladesh, women don't have rights, by the way. Your hope is basically found in who, you, who you're gonna marry. The average uh, food, the average excuse me, income for the day is $1 a day. They don't have a lot of, a lot of resources in that town, in that community a very poor nation. But she made a decision to go ahead and follow not only this Jesus, but she learned that she had to disciple 12 people. So when a 14-year-old girl went around and discipled and got 12 people, she discipled and started a church at 14. When I saw her, she was anywhere between 16 and 18. I'm not really sure. And I remember going to hearing her story, and I went and got her, and I had a friend, and he's a wonderful man, and he translated me and says, you know, I, I, I'm going to tell everybody about you. I want people to know around this world what you have done at 14. And she looked at me like, I didn't do anything. And I watched her expressing, like, why? Because she just did what she was told to do brought me under the conviction, Lord, a 14-year-old that is told and to go and disciple and to share this message of Jesus is able to do that, what happens to me? Perhaps I need to learn something here that sometimes we put too much into it. We start to think how much do we need to do well, what does it take to be a disciple? Well, first of all, James chapter 1, verse 22. You know what that says? You know, this is a book that not a lot of people wanted to be in the Bible. Martin Luther did not like this book. That's right. The one that started the Reformation, he did not like this book. Augustine, one of the pillars and the, the major force that shaped the, the Christian church, did not like this book. And the reason for that is they came out of a very legalistic Catholic background where basically your salvation basically is extend from what you do. So when the book of James came up, they looked at this and they did not like it because this book that said not only believe, but you had to do. Was that Nike? Just do it. James chapter 1 verse 22, do not be merely listening to the word and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Rats. You mean I got to get up and do something? That's right. 
if I look at this group here, most of the young ones are downstairs, so if you are 14 and above, you're, you're, you're old enough to disciple others. And I'm not going to deal with what it takes to disciple. I'm going to save that next week for that. But what I am going to do is take a close look at what it is and why we struggle with that disciple. We don't do discipleship very well because sometimes some things scare us. Number one is it's just not important enough. Well, if it's not important enough, obviously my first question is you're probably not a disciple. Because a disciple gets close to the heart of God. A disciple is somebody who has made a step of commitment to not only just believe, but to step into that belief and embrace the things that Jesus wants us to do and to follow through with it. And that's why he uses the word, if you abide in me, if you stay connected to me, if you remain in my teachings. Now, that doesn't mean we go through a formal thing. And sometimes, you know, Sunday schools could be a discipleship uh, thing. A lot of things can be discipleship, but sometimes it doesn't, too. We can spend our entire lives in Bible studies and churches all our lives and never do anything. I, I, I liken it to the American church today. One of the great struggles we have is we have become the Dead Sea, not the Sea of Galilee. And you know the difference, right? Those that have been in the church long, long enough know this, the Sea of Galilee is teeming with life. When water flows into it, water flows out of it. Well, it ends up bound the Dead Sea down where it is, and water flows into it, and nothing comes out of it. It becomes oversalty. It becomes useless because it doesn't do anything. And one of the things that teach, God teaches us in his scriptures is how to follow Jesus. To follow Jesus means we not only saturate ourselves with who Jesus is and understand and try to figure out what he wants us to do, but then we find a way to do it. Now, the great blessing of this church, this church I know does an awful lot. It reaches out. It pours forth itself out into this community. It partakes and is a part of other parts of this community and the Christian to be able to give to somebody outside of themselves. Giving is a natural byproduct of it. One of the great blessings uh, that America has had is they've had a, a wonderful man named Billy Graham, God called up. And Billy Graham got called up in his first part of ministry. He's not only a wonderful man, but he discovered that one of the most important things that he needed to do to be able to make his, the ministry to reach people with the gospel is to elicitate all the churches, to draw them together, to have them praying, and to not only be a part of it to bring it in, but to follow through with discipleship going out. And then God has transformed that ministry into not only a place of the, he receiving the gospel, but God blessed his young, his, his young son, who was a rebellious kid at the time, okay, came back to the Lord, and now he took that thing and he turned it inside out. Till today, the Billy Graham organization not only preaches the gospel, but it ministers to the sick, to the homeless, to the victims of war. And I know this week, I, I know our kids, we started a Wednesday night teens over the net because I can't get over here. 
Otherwise, we'd be over here doing it. And we're going to be a part of the, doing the shoe boxes to be able to send things. The kids that are going to do that things to send it out. Why are we doing that? Because we need to be a part of it. It's not a matter of us just taking in. It's what we do when we give out. And the cycle of discipleship is a process of believing, embracing what Jesus is doing and giving out. And continuing that cycle, not being perfect. Can you imagine a 14-year-old that's perfect? <laughs> what? You got one? Yeah. Yeah. He'll, he'll tell you. He'll tell you. I got one too. Does he say the same thing? Oh, okay. No. Okay. <laughs> But the concept is, the fact is, is we ourselves are filled with the Spirit of God, and God has blessed us. But if we do not actually live out that very calling to disciple the world, what's going to happen to our work? The message of Jesus Christ begins at our doorstep. It comes with those around us. And it's not complicated. It's sharing and talking about Jesus and what God's doing with those that are closest around you. Your children. Your neighbor. Yeah, even your work. When they start to understand that, you know, we, and we have a big fear factor. Isn't that what happens? What, what stops us from doing a lot of that stuff? Fear, right? Fear of being rejected. Fear of something that's coming in the way. You know, when we talk about fear... Where does fear come from? Satan. Matter of fact, the scriptures make that very, very clear. He says in 1 John chapter 4, 1, he says, There is no fear in love, and God is love. There is no fear in love. It's, it's the same concept we have when darkness and light. Gee, you light a light, the darkness shares. Darkness has no power over light when the light's there. Fear has no power when, when God is there. You know what fear is? It's coming over in the boat from Metlakettle and seeing how big those waves are at. <laughs> and I was this morning. My boat, we're not taking our boat back. We're taking the ferry back, folks. And yeah, I do pray a lot when I do that. But you know what? That is my greatest comfort. Is because when I know God's, God, God's presence is with me, I don't fear. When God's presence is with us in our lives, we do not fear. When fear is there, that means God needs to be there more. How is God there more? <coughs> Abiding in Him. Staying close in Him. The closer you are, the less fear. Courageous people are only courageous because of the secure in where they are. A little child in his mom or his dad's hands being held in his mom and dad's hand is the most secure place in the world. You don't, you're not afraid when you're in their hands. When you're in the Heavenly Father's hands, there is no fear. It chases it out. When we ask us why we don't do things, it's because maybe we need to get closer to God. We need to make a commitment to become what God has called all Christians to become. He's called you to believe in him. <coughs> and to step into that part that's called discipleship.
Father, today we are here by your wonderful grace. You brought us here. We're never here by accident. Even though it might have been an accident we thought brought us here. But we're here because you are calling us to yourself. I thank you, Lord, for the body of Christ. But above all, Lord, I thank you for what you're doing through the body of Christ. I thank you for the people, Lord, that took a hold of my hand and held it until I could actually reach out and say, God, I am yours and I am all yours, whatever it takes. And Father, today, Lord Jesus, I also know that you have not only spoken to my heart, but you've spoken to hearts here. Father, today, I'd like us to make that commitment to not only embrace who you are, but to embrace all you are. To make a step of saying, I am committing to the discipleship of Jesus Christ, that I may be filled with his Holy Spirit in such a way that I can fear no more and find my comfort Father, today, Lord, I commit that, my life and who I am to you, and trust you to lead me where you will lead me, your purpose, your design, that I may do what you've called me to do. We ask that now in Jesus' name. And everyone said, would you stand and worship? 